Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guide books. Hello and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. If you're joining us for the first time, Gaze at the National Parks is the podcast that explores the trails of America's national parks, one hiking trail in one park, one park at a time. In between these trail-focused episodes, we have trail mix episodes, which cover a variety of topics, but mostly relate to the parks, the environment, social justice, the rights of Indigenous people, and a variety of other topics important to the both of us in the scope of this show. If you have listened to our last few seasons, we have had the pleasure of having many interview-focused trail mix episodes from authors, national park explorers, and experts alike. We are so pleased to be able to continue interviewing folks in this season and excited for our guests on today's episode, Megan Keller and Emily Hoff, authors of Scenic Science of the National Parks, An Explorer's Guide to Wildlife, Geology, and Botany. This is a book that I have had for a long time and that the two of us have had the pleasure of using as one of our major guiding factors in our research and national park travels. But on top of all of that, Megan and Emily also recently released a trivia game entitled National Parks Trivia, a card game, 400 questions to test the knowledge of every enthusiast. Both their book and their game are a wonderful addition to the collection of any national park lover. We were so excited to be able to chat with them about their process, their travels, and their friendship, which have some coincidental comparisons to mine and Mike's. Please join us in welcoming Megan and Emily to the show. Hi, it's so nice to finally meet you both. Thank you so much for having us. This is exciting. Hello. Of course, of course. We've been so excited to chat with both of you, mostly because we've been like secret giant nerd fans of the two of you Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. So we love that Instagram brought us together. But I would love for y'all to share with us and share with everybody listening a little bit about who you are, the kind of work that you do, and what your most recent projects have been. Emily, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, uh, my name is Emily Hoff, and I met this beautiful being named Megan Keller when we were both way younger in college about I'd say like a million years ago yeah approximately yeah accurate um and we knew that we wanted to do creative work together but hadn't quite decided what that would be um but we just kept like brainstorming and ideating and eventually decided that whatever it was going to be would be centered around like bringing people together with curiosity and nature and uh, just sort of like getting people access to that sense of curiosity and wonder that kind of gets beaten out of you over so long as you enter adulthood. Yeah. Yep. Totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. That doesn't sound like us at all either. Not at all. No, it's not very relatable. It's a very niche audience. That's why. No, not at all. <laughs> Yep, totally. Megan, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so my name's Megan Keller. I am one half of the Driving Curiosity duo. I love being able to explore topics that I don't know much about. And I think 
that's something that Emily and I are really passionate about is finding those things, asking those questions, and then feeling empowered to dig deeper into them. And then sharing that with other people so that they feel that way too. So Emily approached me about writing a book about the national parks and science. And uh, that was, sheesh, I actually, off the top of my head, how many years ago? I don't know if I can do that math. I think I'd have to think um, about it in years. It was like 2015, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So that was when, like, I would say the more specific focus on science and that the national parks kind of emerged for us. Well, you know that the national parks are ripe with anything that you want to get curious about, you can in the national parks. And it's so wonderful. Yes. And um, I feel like it's worth noting that you're currently wearing a shirt that says get curious. <laughs> yeah, this is actually <laughs> Emily's also... handwriting. It's our special merch. Oh, wow. Okay, oh, nice. well, merch we're going to have to get, <laughs> <Yeah>. obviously. <laughs> I'm a get the t-shirt kind of gal. Mm, so I will sure definitely, <laughs> I will definitely get some merch. I mean, absolutely. I'm also a get the t-shirt gal and I'm also a like, we should make t-shirts gal. And Megan is kind enough to indulge me there. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Mike is the creative force behind all of the visual stuff that's involved with uh, this podcast, including, I mean, Mike did the, the logo. He also does all the like original designs for you know, the different parks and, and all the merch. So we haven't gotten to t-shirts quite yet. It's great to like hear from both of you and to just sitting here listening. I'm like, wow, the parallels are uncanny. <laughs> like seriously, we've been friends for 10 years or a million years by Dusty's st standards. And mm -hmm. that was and sort Emily's of- Emily's standards. Yeah, and Emily's yeah. standards too. And that was sort of our- impetus was we really wanted to do something creative both being creative people we sort of talked about what that might be and then we just started taking trips to the parks and then it all sort of just coalesced very quickly and so it's I love that there's that park focus that sort of was the draw for you too as a creative duo obviously you, we have a beautiful book and a, a, a game sitting in front of us that are both incredibly designed and thoroughly researched but it just is so fascinating to just hear those sort of parallels and just to, to listen to that and just to see how the parks are such a force to bring people together. I'm so curious. So my background is theater and live storytelling and Mike's background is art, ceramics, printmaking, and also uh, graphic designs. What is your creative backgrounds? So uh, we met in a theater program in undergrad. I was, yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Yes, love there that. Yep. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Everybody pull out your bingo cards. So yeah, we met in a theater program. Megan was a stage manager and I was interested in sort of the acting, singing, dancing side of it. Um, and let me tell you, anyone who is interested in going into any kind of business whatsoever should get themselves a stage manager on their side. I've said it before. Um, I'll say it again. 100%. <laughs> 100%. I fully concur on that. I think that what feels very interesting about that background for us is that we didn't really do a lot of shows together. We did maybe like one or two, but we really bonded in the more academic theater classes that we had to take. So theater history, I think there were three, I feel like. We were roommates and we would study together and make really elaborate study guides. And I think we both saw in each other that obviously the creative passion that theater brings out in people, but the passion for learning and the excitement around learning, like why would a show be like this? Or why would, like, how does this fit into history? Which I think was like a lot of Emily's background is actually history. And so, how does theater tell the stories of what was going on in world history or American history or whatever? So I just think that, I don't know, I think theater is so exciting because it embodies so many different aspects of being a great human being to be around. So I think it's great that you have a theater background. And art obviously is also great too. Thank you. <laughs> Mike also Mike also works in the theater because he does all the scenery for his middle school productions. That's so nice. And I've directed too. As and well. he's directed. Yeah. He, you did which was show you Into the Woods and Wizard of Oz. There it is. Yeah. So So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. This yeah. could very quickly become, become like a, a three-hour conversation <laughs> about theater. Ever seen, like, Ethel Merman? And maybe it should sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we met in that theater program. And then, like Megan said, one of my other focus at the time was also history. 
And so I went on to do a graduate degree in history and museum studies. Love that. Right? Like I literally was just wandering around trying to figure out what to do after undergrad, knowing I wanted to go to grad school, but not quite what that meant. And I was like, who writes that stuff in museums? I feel like I could write that stuff. And that's literally why I went to grad school. Um, and that is what I do in the, my like life when I'm not writing with Megan. Um, I research and write content for museums. Um, and I also guide tours. Uh, of museums and also basically anywhere you'll pay me to guide a tour of. (laughs) That's amazing. Can I just say, okay, so I'm a little curious. So both of you are the co-authors of Scenic Science of the National Parks. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just have to say, so Mike bought this book for me Four or five Christmases ago? Yeah, four or five holidays seasons ago. I'm in this book all the time. All the time. Whenever we have a park that we're visiting, we're always, this is one of our first reference places because like each section about each park is so hyper-specific and it like zooms in on like, here's this really, really special science component that you will see only here. And I'm obsessed with it. So I just want you to know, like, what a huge resource that has been for us. And so um, when we got connected on Instagram, I think, Megan, you messaged us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I literally responded with, me holding a picture of this book I was like excuse me I'm obsessed with your book I showed the picture of the petrified wood and like how like all the different colors of the petrified wood anyway what I love about this book so much is that we've read science textbooks and science textbooks can be dense and dry this is like (laughs) so accessible it's so exciting to read it and it's like grounded in the whole getting curious about something so like I feel like it's written for uh, like the audience is for people who are curious and like if you're curious then you're going to be like then you follow along so easily because it's like I nerd out about all the different colors inside of petrified wood and what they mean and where they come from and so I felt a little bit like deeply seen by this book. So I want to personally thank you both for like, I know it must be an extremely difficult process to write a book like this. And I deeply appreciate all of the work that went into this. That's amazing. I mean, that is, it's literally all any author I think wants. And as we were writing it, of course, there were times where it was like, what are we doing? This is really difficult. But it was always like, can you just imagine that there's there's people out there that we don't know, that we've never met, we've never interacted with, they're going to buy this and they're really going to enjoy it. Other people will look at it and say, this is nice. <laughs> and somebody out there is going to really get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, it's sort of like, if you just look at it, buy it, look at it, it's nice. That's it's great. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But it's also there like to do that, right? To connect you to these things. And it's so... It's so amazing to hear like literal dreams come true. Yeah. Yeah. So the full title is literally Scenic Science of the National Parks, An Explorer's Guide to Wildlife, Geology, and Botany by Emily Hoff and Megan Keller. And so um, everybody, okay, so everybody has to go get this because like you'll be obsessed with it when you have it. What was like the process of like writing each of those sections? Like how did you choose like what are we zooming in on here? And then what was the process of like writing the actual text of it to have a a sense of like we are inciting curiosity, we're also trying to remain accessible and we're not trying to sound too dense? Yeah, I think um, many people might not appreciate the fine art of what we came to call book algebra, (laughs) um, which is sort of the nitty gritty detail of that when you sign a book deal contract, they tell you exactly how many pages you are turning in. So we knew how long the book would be and we knew we wanted to cover or had to cover 60 parks. And so we needed to break it down from there with some guesswork about like, how long do we think the index would be? And maybe an introduction would be nice, you know, all kinds of things like that and so we started from there in terms of like actual book architecture but in terms of finding the subject matter that goes back a little bit further when we first as you're saying we we started to just travel in the parks too to just say like what's out there what can we see and we developed this style that we started to call science tourism or I would call maybe like curiosity based tourism where we just went into a park and saw what grabbed our attention neither Megan nor I are like long distance hikers or multi-day 
everyday backpackers, which are, they're both lovely ways to experience the outdoors, but we're more of the like, let's drive the loop road and like maybe do a little trail off there and that kind of thing. So we, it was important from the beginning for us to focus on stuff that was, was readily available, right? That didn't require like a three day backpack to go see this thing, which so often like I would read guidebooks to the park and they'd be like this fabulous, you know, rock or this amazing fossil bed. Uh, but it is a four day hike into the backcountry, <laughs> and they don't tell you that until like 12 pages in and you're like, oh my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> never mind. So we kind of started from there um, and then got used to the fine art of cold calling and cold emailing the amazing folks who uh, work in the parks, the rangers and the scientists. Um, and maybe Megan can talk a little bit about our fo- like one of the focuses we from the beginning was that we really mm-hmm. wanted to speak to as many women that were working in those roles as possible. Yeah, so... The other thing that I want to add uh, is that when we started, I can't remember how many parks we had to add kind of last minute. I don't remember if it was one or two. But when we started, there were fewer parks than when we had to have the manuscript submitted. And shortly after the manuscript was submitted, I think another park was added and we couldn't we couldn't do it fast enough, you know. And so that's just another interesting piece of this is that it would be very hard to write like a fully evergreen national parks, anything really, because it's always changing. But what... I would say is you were alluding to the fact that like science texts and stuff are really dense. And so it was important to us to highlight, you know, maybe underrepresented or underheard voices within the science community and the outdoors community in general. These people are so, so interesting. There was never a conversation that we had where we were just like, that person's so dull. And so I think that what we were finding is like, how can we use our platform or our ability or whatever to take what this person is so passionate about and so knowledgeable about and make it like just be that conduit to bring people to it instead of having it be like, oh, you're a scientist. I don't feel like I could talk to you. And the thing was, is that in Rangers too, right? They love sharing what they love. Like who doesn't, right? So they love talking about it. So I would say the combination of literally traveling and going into, we made it a point to talk to Every visitor center ranger we could see, we always got the map. Like we, we were very serious about some things going into the parks and making it a very routine experience. And a lot of people don't do that, I think too. So they just roll into the park and drive through and they don't know. And they're not taking that like little moment with the experts, right? And we also like very specifically sought out women rangers too, <laughs> just cause it was our goal. And I, yeah, I think that the visiting piece was a really big component of it, but also kind of defining in the negative and saying, what is already talked about ad nauseum. So you'll notice in the book that we don't talk about, I don't know, the history of the Grand Canyon. Like, tell us the whole entire story of that. Because if you go to Grand Canyon National Park, the likelihood that you will leave without some basic understanding of that, if you've interacted with any interpretation in the park, is low. So we wanted to, like, dig that little bit deeper of what is interesting that isn't already hyper-interpreted, right? So that was another component of it. That's what I, that's what I feel was so exciting for me about digging into this book and for the both of us when we would like take the time to really dig through like because it comes with us on the road a lot of times like it it's in our bags a lot of times because it really does highlight something that I don't know that I would get if I just had the surface level experience even like going into a visitor center speaking to park rangers seeing the interpretive information I don't know that I would get what is offered in here. And so that that was terribly exciting to be like, oh, I've been to this park before and I didn't even know this. I have had that experience many times flipping through this book. How far along in the process of just your own travels were you before, how many parks had you been to before you really started to kind of dive into the book? And are you still hitting parks when you can? <laughs> of course. It's <laughs> yeah. like a lifelong. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I would say that we had like intentionally traveled to perhaps six Mm -hmm. parks by the time we got the book deal, which then unlocked some funding for us to be able to, in the end, we spent about four months and traveled through 20 parks in the summer and fall of 2018, which was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was 20,000 miles, right? Of driving. Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't fly. Wow. (laughs) We drove. Yeah. Which is I the way it. to do that it. That can get so uh, expensive it, with it, renting it, cars it is and the way to do paying it. for flights. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a lot of camping, so to like haul gear yeah. everywhere. And yeah. Oh, yeah. We basically just mm-hmm. lived out of my Ford Explorer, which was amazing. <laughs> Love. Yeah. 
Yeah, there is really there is really something about having all of your stuff with you, you know, and just being like, all right, well, we packed everything because the campsite's empty. So I guess we could leave and just moving on to the next thing. And it's a uh, it was I would say a, such a magical like once in a life opportunity to know that we were on this mission for the purpose of the book. Um, and I remember we did remember when we called Caitlin, our editor from a truck stop, like that was the other piece of it too, where we had to like resume some check-ins and kind of businessy things. And we were like, Hey, we're at this weird truck stop, like redlining our contract or whatever. It was just like so weird and random. It was an amazing four months of those specific travels for the book. But yes, we are still visiting parks. We want to visit all of them. We haven't been to the Alaska parks, which I think is just sad. Us neither. Us either. We want to go so bad. So we should go sometime. All Let's together. Go. Great. Let's, Let's plan go. it. I'm, I'm here for it. I know we did a we did our long road trip and it wasn't even that long compared to four months. It was five weeks and it was there was something once in a lifetimey magical, you know, we got to do so much. We hit 10 parks in that five weeks and spent like a beautiful amount of time in Glacier and got to connect with some amazing folks uh, along the way. So I can't imagine the amount of time you got to spend in four months. And obviously also the amount of driving 20,000 miles is it's intense. That's, you know, did you have rules about how long you would drive in a day? I don't think there were hard and fast rules, but neither of us like to drive at night. So <laughs> sort of a general yeah. agreement that that wasn't going to be the case. And it was incredible amounts of fun. Like, don't don't mishear me. But we also knew at that point that we were on a mission. Like we had those four months to gather the research on the 20 parks we were going to. But although we had pitched originally writing about 12 parks <laughs> in our first phone call ever with our editor, she said, well, why not write about all of them? And we were like, all, all of them? And you were like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was was a fast moving conversation. Yeah, but we were like, what we I remember she's like, why only 12 or whatever? And I was just like, because have you been to one? We could write one book about one park. Like, how do you want us to write about all of them? Oh, absolutely. It's funny because having spent a lot of time on the road, not just in that road trip that we took, but just in our park trips where we're hitting a few parks at a time. A lot of what we have sort of come to as, you know, besides just music or podcasts is crossword puzzles, games, things like that. And I'm curious, did your time on the road inform your creation of your newest um, sort of venture? National Parks Trivia, 390 questions to test the knowledge of every enthusiast. Um, you're hired as our yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Um, it's so funny that you mentioned crossword puzzles because I would say that neither of us are in the business of writing crossword puzzles. I actually have no idea how it works, and now I want to look into it. We were pretty uh, invested in doing crossword puzzles, and the thing is, is that no, I would say the journey to the game actually was directly from the book. So our the fact that we were the duo that wrote the book, and I think we benefited from the fact that we're women, like women in science is kind of niche, obviously. And so I think we benefited from that and having a great editorial team that all lives under Penguin. And so there were conversations within Penguin from different publishing houses. And we ended up being invited basically by way of our agent to take on this game as an opportunity. And I would say I enjoy trivia, but I would say that neither of us are like, like if people were listing 10 things that each of us are interested in I don't think they would say trivia so we would not really do trivia necessarily but a game that I would be interested in if you play in the car is um what's the population of this town we're driving through <laughs> so you know we would drive like past past Indianapolis or whatever and be like so what is the population and then we would guess and then we would look it up and hurrah somebody was close um or we would drive past a small town and be like what do you think the population and then the sign is right there and it's like dang like we didn't quite get there in time so do you guys play that game we haven't but no but no. Then we probably will we'll now have to add it it's in now we'll have to add it in yeah. we got a lot of games that we fold out yeah and you don't yeah. need any equipment well yeah. actually you do need a phone if you need to look it up no so never mind well you do need to equipment. look it up yeah <laughs> well if you, minimal equipment. Even if you have a phone, you may not have service. This is also very true. Therein, you enter the zone of endless speculation, which is kind of a fun place to be. That's right. Mm-hmm. Endless speculation is fun and very mm-hmm. creative. And it also breeds curiosity. There it is. It does. There, there it is. is. <laughs> 
about National Parks trivia because it is beautiful. Visually, it's very beautiful. We've been so fortunate to be teamed up with these like amazing creative teams. Our designer on the book, our designer on this game, and the illustrators that we've worked with on both of them as well are just like supremely talented. It's so cool that people lend their artistic skill to us like that. So there, there's sort of four categories here. We've got plants, animals, and water. Those are the green cards. Geology and astronomy. Those are the blue cards. Tourism, which is the... What color? I mean, yellow it's, orange. It's a yellow orange. Yeah. Okay, yellow orange cards, and then the cultural history, which is sort of it's a like red orange, red orange or yeah. sienna. Yeah, if you and will. Sienna's a brown. Oh, sienna's a brown. <laughs> Mike knows this because his background is art. I certainly don't. <laughs> salmon, perhaps it's salmon. <laughs> salmon. I uh, yeah. I think I it could... need to be a little pinker for salmon. Okay, but yeah. It's like terracotta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a terracotta color. Yeah. It's like a Bart Simpson's uh, t-shirt color. <laughs> right. I like it. So tell us a little bit about how you came to these four categories. That's a good question. How did we come to those four? Well, I think we kind of broadly knew, you know, once it was like, all right, let's just throw out, you know, say in your mind, what categories would you think about if you're playing trivia? You know, I'm sure we made a list and then whittled it down and grouped them. And there's some crossover between categories. I was looking through cards today, right? And I was like, oh, right, like that really could have been either one. But these are sort of broadly, I would say the subjects that people approach us about or that I hear often about or you could find maybe in the like park gift store at the books are divided <laughs> maybe along these lines yeah and I would add that we knew that it couldn't just be science right it wasn't a science trivia game it was wow I'm having an animal crisis and I'm sorry I can't really do anything about it um but what I will say is Knowing that it couldn't just be science was a part of it. And then also wanting to not emphasize the whitewashing of history that often accompanies national parks. And so I don't know how if you've played it or how much you've played it. And this is similar with the book. Um, there is a, There are some names that are absent from the content, such as John Muir, et cetera, et cetera. And that is intentional because while those contributions are important, obviously, they're talked about a lot. And there are a lot of things that aren't talked about. And so that was another important piece that I do think the challenges of the game, you know, obviously the game is all about brevity and like really fast facts and contextualizing them in a way that was very different than the book. But using it as an opportunity to illuminate things maybe for people. So I would imagine and I hope that there are some people who are very, very serious about the national parks in only one way who play this and then they're like, wow, like I actually didn't know a lot of these things because I have a very specific knowledge of the national parks and it's not this. Which again, how do you write 390 questions only? You know, there are some parks that only have a couple of questions in here. And so I think that piece is so exciting. But yeah, I feel like the decision about the different categories was... You know, obviously there are kind of two science categories too, so it's kind of sneaky, right? We were like, well, geology has to be by itself, and astronomy undoubtedly fits with geology, because <laughs> we were like, where does astronomy go? <laughs> so yeah, we have two sciencey categories, and then and then the other two that I think came from bookstores and knowledge from our editorial team, other trivia mm-hmm. games that we referenced, and just kind of landed on those and combined things as yeah. we saw fit. Were you originally intending? So you said like astrology or astronomy, sorry, astronomy and geology. We're astrology we're, fans. We are. We are. Astrology um, in the national parks. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Right. What would a Capricorn do yeah. first when visiting a national park? Yeah. Oh, but, I'm here for it. Were there categories that you were hoping to include or were you hoping to have more categories and like the editorial team kind of whittled you down or kind of just like corralled you into like uh, just four really don't remember how the number of categories truly I think we suggested that number of categories we knew there needed to be some um and we sure. kind of similar to the book we knew how many cards would be in the box publishing algebra exactly trivia game publishing mm-hmm. algebra yeah the box that's are like part of a series right so we knew the like dimensions that the box would be and how many cards would go in um I mean totally as Megan was saying we could have had all just science questions or like 
only geology could have been one set of questions and only mm-hmm. plants one set of questions like that would have been my my dream um but it is made richer with these other things because like megan was saying there's so many ways to visit the parks you can go and really just look at trees or just care about the human history or just you know whatever it is um and you kind of get wrapped up in these little niches and forget like oh there's all these other things about you know there's fish and there's also tourism statistics and there's you know <laughs> one thing that always fascinates me is place names you can mm-hmm. learn an incredible amount about what a place is named for and is not named for what isn't there is often pretty telling in addition to what is so trying to work some of that knowledge into here too just to to again like plant that little seed these are all meant to be just little nuggets that you don't really need to do anything with you can just know them and think that's cool and isn't that nice or you can be like oh my god but do you know what <laughs> now I can't stop thinking about is this banana slug thing I need to go watch a YouTube video about it. Yikes. <laughs> Did the same process of like cold calling and utilizing like ranger and uh, scientists of the parks um, to kind of like call information like you did with the book, did that in some ways happen here in the game? Or was it more research that you were able to kind of do on your own? Like how did that, how did that differ? Like, I think the biggest difference is that the trivia game is just that surface level. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, we would have started with any one of the facts that you get in this trivia game and then expanded that into a two or three page piece right and so it's at that point that you're kind of looking for layers that it's great to bring in the experts and to ask them all sorts of silly questions that they are delighted to answer such as like oh that's great but say it again with much smaller words um (laughs) say it to me like I don't know anything because I don't know anything yeah and people are delighted to tell you about their life's work so it's amazing to hear that was a component that I definitely missed like some of those personal connections that we made over the course of the book kind of getting to know some of these scientists and rangers Uh, There was less of that with the trivia game, but hopefully more in whatever our next project will be. I love the design of the cards and that every card has two questions on it. Okay, so we do trivia as we drive in the car all the time. I feel like we have found every trivia book available. It's worth their weight in salt anyway. Right, and we have also found the trivia books that were not worth the money at all. And we were like, okay, we're not. And so what I love about it is that it's visually designed so that like, if you're sitting in the car playing, the person reading them out loud can also play along. So I love that, like, the, you know, the answers upside down at the bottom in much smaller font. I also love that there are multiple choices, which you could use on some of the questions. Some of them are true and false, but multiple choices so that you, you could use them if you want, but you also don't have to. So we, when we have played it in the car, it's like, okay, ask the question, no choices first. Let's see if we can get it. And then we, then we, if we need choices, we'll ask for them. And I also love that. So there's like an easy question and there's a hard question on every card. And I do love how they're sort of connected. That's a very terribly exciting thing for me as the trivia lover. I'm like, oh, I love when people take the time to think about who's reading it and can they participate? Like, it's no fun if you're reading a book and the answer's right in front of you. And you're like, well, now I know and you don't. And that's what this game is now. It's it's a I know it and you don't game. And you know what I mean? Like, there's no room for curiosity there. So thank you for giving room for curiosity, which is not a surprise based on what drives both of you. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. I love that you love the game. Um, I think another component of it that is tricky is wanting it to be accessible for even people who like a person who has been to zero national parks could play this as a gateway into the national parks. Right. So what is hard for some people is not hard for others. And I think that was sometimes tricky. And actually I think the trickiness comes across in the game too, where you could read a question and be like, it happened when I was looking for cards to read to you guys later is, is this hard? Or we thought this was hard when we wrote it and now it feels easy or the opposite where it's just like, but for a lot of people, this, easy question would be really hard and so I love that also you take the approach of omitting the answers because there was an early phase of this where we well we basically ended up having to include multiple choices for every single question and that wasn't always how it was going to be but the game would be impossible for some people if there were just no options at all and here you go name this fish in death valley and or whatever so i am glad that you do take the opportunity to try and then get the 
options if you need them. Or you could even, if the person looks at the answer, they could do like a 50-50 and say, okay, actually now here are the only two questions or the two possibilities. So now it's kind of like a true false. A principle that Megan and I say to each other a lot is the like, guess what's in my head game is not very fun. That's something that I take to heart on my tours. You hear a lot of tour guides say things like, now who can tell me a very specific fact that I clearly know, but you probably don't. It's like such a setup that is so, doesn't really make anyone feel like they should ask questions or they're invited into Mm -hmm. the space right so a thing that we try to do right is maintain that accessibility factor to say like you can't you can't know everything about anything let alone the parks you know like and so there's no shame in in not knowing something not knowing something is simply an opportunity to learn it right and to not know it is also totally fine to not know what the name of the fish in fish in death valley is is a totally acceptable way to live your life to like be burning curious about what that fish is called is also a great way to live your life (laughs) yeah i'm so glad that both of you mentioned like making room for people who are curious about the parks who have who are just getting an introduction to the parks because that curiosity is so wonderful and beautiful and like yes we're so here for that curiosity and so like it can sometimes be very sort of daunting if like somebody sees something or is curious about learning more about a national park and they go to a book and the book feels like it's written for somebody who's deeply in the know and like you know like it breaks my heart to know that some people would be curious about going to a national park and feel like oh I don't have hiking poles therefore Mm -hmm. I can't go and that's not true that's not true at all that's not true at all so I love how conscious the two of you are about how you make what you make because there are so many people who are curious about national parks and who are just starting their journey into sort of like wondering about them and maybe visiting. Like when we first started, we got a lot of emails from listeners who were like, I've never visited a national park, but like listening to the details about these trails makes me like really want to see it. And like, I'm starting to pick up some things like, you know, when I go out for a walk in my neighborhood and I'm like, yes, that is, that's the whole, that's what it's about, right? It's just about like um, joyously offering curiosity because curiosity drives our own joy, you know? And so I can feel that in all of the, in, in this book and in the game so much. And so like, it's so exciting to like sit and ask these questions because then we'll be like, oh, I don't, I have never heard of that person. Let's look them up and find out more. You know, we do that constantly while we're playing these cards. That's kind of the best case outcome, I would say, in my mind for this. Well, I guess best case is like you're having fun. Yeah, but I mean, it opens the door. It opens the door for so much. And it's sort of just like the start of the thread that you can follow and follow in so many different directions, which is kind of great. You're providing the opportunity, but you're not giving them everything. You're not giving away the store. Like the opportunity is there and it allows you to continue on that educational journey if you want to. And if you don't, then that's fine. Like, you know, you don't need to know the name of the fish that's in Death Valley. But if you're really interested in it, and then you might travel down the rabbit hole of what other wildlife is in Death Valley, you know. So there's a lot of great opportunity there, which I think is so great to just offer to everybody, whether they're a national park lover or they're just starting, Totally, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, part of what I want to jump on something Megan was saying earlier about uh, kind of counteracting that like whitewashed wilderness narrative that is really common in the parks. You know, there's this, this idea maybe that like the only way to experience a park is to like go hike to some dramatic point and take a picture of your boots hanging off a cliff alone and there's no one else in sight which is a totally valid way to experience the parks, but there are a ton of other ways to do it and ways that maybe take into account others' physical abilities or interests or anything that it might be. Like if you never get out of your car and you only drive the loop road, congratulations, you have visited a national park. That is absolutely a way that you can do it. If you spend 16 days in the backcountry, congratulations. You have also visited a national park but I would say no more so than that person who drove the Louvre road, right? Like 
it's all this sense of, like you're saying, opening possibility and creating space for ways that people might or might not want to interact with these places. Yeah, and I love that you said something about a person could be walking in their neighborhood and looking around. I think we reference that all the time when we're talking about inspiring people to be curious and the fact that you don't have to go to a national park in order to see the natural world, right? And hopefully when people read this, book or play the game, they're able to say, okay, I understand how that question worked. And now I want to know about this tree. Like I learned about the old growth forests in Great Smoky Mountains. How old are these trees? Like, are these old growth? Probably not. I'm in a neighborhood in a city or whatever it is. And then being able to use that national park piece as kind of the gateway. And then also trivia, right? Like it could be, I heard the song on the radio and it's about this thing. And now I feel like I can actually ask that question because I've seen all of these things kind of um, illuminated for me in a way that I haven't before. It's It was just nice that you mentioned the natural spaces that aren't national parks, because I think very often in the United States and in urban areas, especially, it can be like the national parks are this pristine place and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, no, they're not necessarily pristine, depending on how you're thinking about it. And you also have a lot of nature to explore in your backyard. And now you maybe know how to ask those questions or where to look for those pieces of information. Absolutely. I was just thinking about like, you know, the local park near my house. And I I live in a small city, but um, we have a park nearby. But sometimes there are rare birds in that park. And, and like, it's so exciting when like, I'm walking through and like, I spot one of those. I am a birder, like hugely so. And I, um, I like dig all of the stuff in scenic science about all the birds. So thank you for that. Yes. How cool is it that there are some national parks where like, there are some birds that only, you know, can really only be seen there in that area and mostly in that national park space. But same thing in all of our local areas too. We've got we've got beautiful, wonderful, incredible nature all around us in so many, you know, fantastic, accessible ways. So I am terribly curious to do some trivia. How about you, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's do it. Nice. I'm very excited. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, we've each uh, picked some questions. So you can just let us know how far you want to take this little experiment. Great. Great, 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 great. Great. Let's go. Who wants to start? I guess I can start. I would be interested in, are you wanting to focus on a specific category? I have all of the categories represented here. And would you like an easy or hard question? Um, I say category is dealer's choice. How are you feeling, Mike? Yeah, easy that sounds good to me. Perhaps let's start off with some easies and then make our way into the hard questions. Can we also not have choices unless we need them? Sure. So this is an easy question. And the category is geology and astronomy, which I would say for many people is not the easiest category. So here we go. Visitors to Acadia National Park can't help but notice the striking pink speckled stone known as Cadillac Mountain blank what is granite wow you're playing jeopardy rules right now (laughs) (laughs) and winning is that right is it granite the correct answer is granite this pink stone formed in massive volcanic eruptions around 420 million years ago cadillac mountain granite is visible in many places in the park but was named for acadia's highest landmark have you been to Acadia? Have you seen it? Oh, yes. yes. Twice. And we're going for a third time in May. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But this time, I have to say, I don't know that I have. I We've been on Cadillac Mountain a few times, and I don't know that I've ever actually like looked at the granite and said that's Cadillac Mountain granite. But now I will. And now I'm incredibly curious about seeing it. You should also take along a little like magnifying glass or a hand lens of some kind because yeah. granite looks really okay. cool when you zoom in on yes, it. Yes, we will. Great. Okay. Nice job, um, by the oh way. my gosh, Very I love that. Thank you. And we we play Jeopardy all the time, so yeah. it's a force of habit to answer in the form of a question. Yeah. Force <laughs> of habit. It's indeed. been beaten into us. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm gonna hit you with a tourism question. Great. Where does the mammoth in Mammoth Cave National Park's name come from? Um, Because it is the largest cave system in the entire world. 
Yeah, I mean, something like that. Yeah, it is its large size. Uh, Mammoth, in this case, has everything to do with the cave's impressive dimensions and very little to do with the past. You'd think it was something to do with fossils, right? right? Exactly. A That's a common fossil. misconception mm-hmm. that it's named for um, a woolly mammoth. mammoth like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like bones or tusks or whatever. Mm. Does that sound true? I'm going to do an easy question. No answers to start with because I will be Great. shocked if you get this right without having options. And that is not a critique of okay. your intelligence. Okay. Category is in cultural history. Wind Cave National Park was the first national park created to protect a cave. What year was it created? Oh, it's early. It's early. It's early in there. Um, I know it's like one of the first, I feel like. And Okay. Um, I will say I don't know the answer without the option. I wouldn't have known it without it either. Um, um, so is this the year it was designated National Park or the year it was like fell under... Like some of them was, didn't I, get, some no, of them were protected earlier. Pretty, right, pretty soon. I think oh, okay. it was like within the Antiquities Act, it was like boom and When boom. was the Antiquities Act? We did an episode on this was and it I'm like ni- blanking. Was it 40s? It was, no, no, no. It was, Roosevelt was president in the 1800s. So, right? No, the 1900s, no, no, the no, early 1900s. Or, yeah. So I'm going to say it's, is it 1916? Do you have a guess? Um, I will say 1918. So you're both wrong. And I feel validated. (laughs) And so I win. Okay, great. Um, Okay, so I'm going to give you the choices, knowing that you are both wrong. So I'll say it again. You were wrong. No, no, no. I love it. So A, 1898. B, 1903. C, 1931. D, 1943. So I'm going to say this. 1903 is the is the is a choice, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Like 1902 came into my head first for some reason, and I don't know why. But then when you started talking about Antiquities Act, I was like, I think I'm just seeing numbers randomly. So I will guess 1903 because it was close to my very first instinct. That's my guess as well. Do you know now, Emily, or would you like me to read from the card? No, you should explicate it for us all. Okay, and it's beautiful because it brings back Mammoth Cave here in the answer. So the correct answer is indeed B, 1903. Carlsbad Caverns Mm. was established in 1930. Mammoth Cave was the last to join the party in, any guesses? This is not part of the game. Oh, Oh. Mammoth Cave. Mm, It was last. Of the caves. Of the caves to join the party. 1956. 1941. So now we are all up on our cave trivia. Love. Cave establishment knowledge. And again, that was easy. And this makes me curious about like, okay, so caves, caves got started getting, you know, federally protected or whatnot or being called national parks. And like, so now I'm curious what the domino effect was like from like Carlsbad to Wind Cave to Mammoth Cave. Yeah. I mean, there's always interesting context that surrounds these things, right? Like, places don't just get designated out of thin air. There's usually, especially in this day and age, something else that's going on there. So in terms of like something else is part of this bill that gets passed that also happens to make this national park over here. And that, you know, was true in the past as well. The political wrangling has always been political wrangling. So. Oh, let's do some more. This is too much fun. All right. How about a true or false? Uh, This is a cultural history one. Uh, True or false, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is located entirely within Tennessee. False, because it's also located inside of North Carolina. That is correct. And if you don't look at their maps properly and a certain park road is closed, you will end up in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. That is true. Yes. That is true. (laughs) It's also possible to end up in the... The Cherokee Reservation, yes. right, right there, because yes. if if a road is closed, yes. yeah. So we've driven through there and around that many times because of um, Blue Ridge Parkway. Should we move on to hard questions? Okay, Grand Teton is one part of a massive ecosystem that spans several states, national parks, and mountain ranges known as. Do you want me to read the choices? Um, I mean, I would guess the Rocky Mountains. But I I was going to say the Intercontinental Mountain Range. 
So neither of you are okay. correct. Oh, and that great. Is okay. <laughs> yes. I think you uh, provided some great options. We should celebrate when we're wrong. Yep. Here are your four choices. A, Great Western Ecosystem. B, Grand Teton Ecosystem. C, Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. Or D, Intermountain Ecosystem. Oh, this is very interesting. Was I close? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Because that's still kind of my guess. But okay, I'm going to... Uh, the Intermountain? Or... Yeah, that's... So, I, I don't know. I just feel like that... I was, like, on the pulse. <laughs> so I have to say... So I um I have a day job for, for a pharmaceutical company. I work from home. And so I see Intermountain as a name very, very mm-hmm. often when in healthcare systems. So I'm going to guess Intermountain Ecosystem. Okay. That is not correct. Oh, oh, damn. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> Emily, do you know what it is? I'm putting you on the spot. It's okay. You can also plead the fifth. Um, yes, I do know what it is. It's the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. Amazing. I yeah. totally so learned something GYE, today. Okay. Yeah, oh. the GYE is how you see it in books. Okay. The GYE. Probably in whatever guides or whatever. Yeah, so the whole area encompasses over 20 million acres and represents one of the very few almost completely intact temperate ecosystems on Earth. Wow. Amazing. And isn't that a fun fact? That is yes. a fun yeah. fact. Yeah, so now you can tell all your friends about the GYE. Oh, GYE. You yes. down with GYE? Yeah, you yeah. know me. Yeah, you know me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, while I have a moment of yeah. uh, abbreviations and acronyms, I suppose, I was listening to your Badlands episode, and you were talking about the Western Interior Seaway and the WIS, and that is, well, Emily, what is it? It's my favorite ancient seaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to your episode and I was like, ah! like, because <laughs> Badlands is a special place in our hearts anyway. We've been there together many times and it's just so lovely. So anyway, WIS. The WIS. The du- yeah. LOL. It's so cool, right? It's so cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Especially like talking about how like it's covered in fossils and I feel like it's a disservice to American youth that we associate dinosaurs with fossils like fossils and dinosaurs equal the same thing so many times and it's like no there are so many fossils that are not dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and i feel like badlands Mm -hmm. is such a fun place to actually literally see them and like actually literally find them yes yeah they're just yeah literally laying around yeah yeah laying around but don't pick them up don't. Right. Well, you have to. Don't touch you gotta, them. You, you gotta, have gotta, to. There's a process. You have to report. We got to report. Got to report. That's right. That's right. Let's Photograph sure. and report. Exactly. Yep. Photograph and report. Let's do some more. All Can we do right. some more? Let's do some more hard ones. Oh boy. All right. Here we go. Um, what kind of animals are the most common category of creature in Mount Rainier National Park, adding up to a whopping 85 percent of the park's animal biomass, according to the NPS? Ooh. I won't answer this one because I wrote that question. <laughs> okay, it's so <laughs> I wow, am animals, animals. I'm going to Mount Rainier. I'm going to go on a ledge here and say birds. What is your answer? I have none. <laughs> um I feel like no. I feel like I want to say amphibians, but I don't know why. Are either of those in the choices? Okay, you're both, you're thinking with your heads, and I love it. Uh, but no, they're not correct. The actual answer Great. is <laughs> invertebrates. So you were oh. getting close with amphibians, right? Okay. Love. Yeah. Um, invertebrates, including the banana slug, which is the only slug native to the Pacific Northwest. And totally a freak to look at. They're amazing. Oh, I love that. Let's do one more. Let's do one more hard one. Okay. Okay. I love these because uh, they spark such great conversation. They're fun as like springboards to planning or saying you're going to plan, you know. Um, okay, so, oh, sorry, I should tell you the category. Why did I have to look at it? Um, <laughs> the category is tourism, which I knew. So White Sands was designated as a national monument in 1933 in order to protect the dunes. When was it made a national park? So it's fairly recent that this happened. Um, I so believe, 2018? It was either 2018 or, or 2019. 2019. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. 
Was the government shut down when it became a national park? <laughs> Does that help? I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. Oh. I think it might be 2019. I'm going to say 2019 as well. Emily? Yeah. I concur. It was 2019. There we go. Look at that. The the redesignation continues to protect the dunes while also elevating the park's natural and cultural history, which includes Ice Age fossil footprints and more than 10,000 years of human presence. Have you been? No. No, it's it's on the uh, list. No, it's yeah. on the list. So if you put it on that list, I bet there's a tour guide on this call who might pop in. Oh, oh yes. Okay. That's Great. That's home park right now. Oh. Right now. Oh. What? Yes. Oh. We thought we, we, so we're leaving for Big Bend in two days. Um, and we'll be there for three days of hiking. And we toyed around with, it's so it's my spring break. I just, this was my last day of school. So we toyed around with like, thank you. Oh God, it was needed. Um, but we toyed around with like doing Guadalupe Mountains and White Sands at the same time. Like, cause they're all sort of relative and Carlsbad. Like we were like, can we do all four of those? And when we started out, we used to do like, cause Dusty was teaching at the time too and we would just share the spring break time we would do like okay let's jam like five parks in a week and it was exhausting and (laughs) I was just like I don't want to live that life anymore (laughs) I want to take the time to like really hone in and enjoy the park and then I want to come home and have a few days to decompress before I have to go back to school so we just decided just to do Big Bend but we know that El Paso is calling us again at some point oh yeah we'll be back yeah. It is a delightful airport. I think you will. Oh, I don't know what your great. home airports are like. LaGuardia was my home airport for many, many years. Oh, so okay. El Paso's oh. airport is like a dream come true. There's like 12 gates. And oh, great. Oh, beautiful. Four places I mean, that will serve you tequila, and it's perfect. Oh, great. good to know. <laughs> Might get one of those before the flight back. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, Um, Newark is is mm-hmm. our yeah. home airport or Philly. Yeah, Philly. Sort of, we're flying out of Philly. Yeah. He lives closer to Philly. I live closer to Newark. You'll be delighted by El Paso's airport. Well, beautiful. <laughs> I wait. Oh, um, how exciting. This was such a delight. Tell everybody where they can get the book and where they can get National Parks Trivia. So the cool thing is, is that you can order these things through your local indie bookstore is what I would say first. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, so it might not be in the store, but because they have ISBNs, you can order it through your favorite local indie. So that would be my strong, strong, strong recommendation because we got to support the local indie. Yes, that's right. Um, but the easier answer is you can really find it anywhere books and games are sold, um, via the internet. So you can just Google scenic science of the national parks and national parks trivia, and you can find them anywhere. We also have a website in progress of there's scenicsciencebook.com, which actually might be interesting to you two um, if you haven't visited because that's we have like such a beautiful resources or a source work cited section, I guess. Um, oh, great. For all of the because we couldn't, you know, we had a yeah. page limit, so we couldn't include all of the references that we used and it was an extraordinary amount. So we had a wonderful web designer lay it out for us in this beautiful way. So you can also find more places to get the book on that site and uh, references as well if you want to learn more about what you've learned about in the book and in the game, really. We are on Instagram as Driving Curiosity. Um, We don't post a lot, and so follow us because when we do, it's good. Um, And we might message you randomly because that's how we... Because we obviously were fans of yours, too. We had been admiring your stuff. And it's like cackling at your name every time. Love it. Because it's just so great. It's perfect. Um, Yeah. So Instagram driving curiosity. Send us messages. And I will respond because I log in. Yep. That'll be amazing. Beautiful. (laughs) But she'll share whatever's happening with me. And I will be delighted by it. Yes. I, I love just listening to your relationship as, you know, coworkers, friends, everything. And... This is a mirror, like the mirroring that's happening is <laughs> wild to me, like wild. <laughs> it's very fun to interact with yeah. another creative duo. I'm Megan and I yeah. often joke 
people, our publishers, they treat us kind of as one person, which is fine. We're just sort of a unit that comes together. Um, but to like actually interact with another uh, unit such as yeah. yourself is great. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because anytime Megan at the top of the call uh, was like, wait, who is who? I have to, and everybody asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, one of you, one of you, one of it, right. And yes, and I the same for the two of you. When we when we came onto the call, I was like, all it said was Keller, and I was like, oh wait, I have to get the book <laughs> to <laughs> see that it was Megan. <laughs> Mystery. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, everybody out there listening, go to your local bookstore, support your local bookstore, ask them to um, order you a copy of Scenic Science of the National Parks and also National Parks Trivia. Do it. March right up to the counter and just ask for it. And they'll be delighted. And you'll be delighted. And we'll be delighted. It's just delight all around. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the Gaze Shop is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written and performed by Dave Seaman and Mariella Klinger, with Sean Sklios on guitar. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. 